0: Welcome to Indie Matters, a show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. This week, we are bringing you something a little bit different from our normal format an entire episode focused on the death penalty in Nevada. We start with assistant editor Michelle Rundels and myself going over the history of the punishment. Then, reporter Sean Galanka discusses the case of Zane Floyd, a convicted murderer who has been on death row for 20 years. At the end of the show, reporter and co-host Jacob Solis goes over the outlook for capital punishment, and we hear from Mark Betancourt with the Nevada Coalition Against the Death Penalty. And a warning to listeners that this episode goes over some pretty heavy topics, including murder and rape. We don't get into any details on any of it, but if you are sensitive to those topics or are listening with little ones, you may want to consider skipping this episode. January 9, 1863, hundreds of people gathered outside of Dayton, Nevada, to witness the hanging of Alan Milstead, a man who was accused of killing a Lyon County commissioner. It was the first legal execution recorded in the Nevada Territory. Since then, Nevada officials have carried out scores of executions, and over the past 150 years, the state has made dramatic changes in its use of capital punishment. From hanging to lethal injection, the death penalty has typically been used as a way of punishing those deemed the worst of the worst, including people who have committed multiple murders. Proponents of the death penalty also argue that the punishment deters would-be murderers from
1: committing those crimes. Like other frontier states, Nevada has a long history of hanging outlaws and swiftly avenging the heinous crimes of the Wild West. In 1868, Mark Twain was among the 4,000 or so witnesses present for an execution outside of Virginia City. Then in 1890, the state carried out its first and only execution of a woman, when Elizabeth Potts was hanged alongside her husband on a double gallows in Elko. But hangings were often unruly events. In 1875, state lawmakers prohibited public executions without invitations, and not long after... The legislature called for all executions to take place at the state prison in Carson City. Nevada even pioneered changes in capital punishment in the early 20th century. The state created a first of its kind three-gun execution machine and used it to kill convicted murderer Andriza Murkovich in 1913. He was Nevada's only prisoner to be executed by shooting. More than a decade later, in 1924, Nevada became the first state to employ a gas chamber for executions, which was considered more humane than hanging. The state would go on to kill 31 more men in the chamber until 1979, when Jesse Bishop became the final person to be executed by lethal gas in Nevada. Since then, Nevada has used only lethal injections, the most widely used method in the country today. death penalty law and practices vary widely by
0: state, with nearly half of them abolishing the practice. A decade before the first execution in Nevada, Wisconsin became the first state to repeal the death penalty in 1853. Virginia was the most recent state to repeal the practice in 2021, becoming the first southern state to do so. But executions remain commonplace in the South, In the last 40 years or so, Texas carried out more than a third of the country's roughly 1,500 executions. Virginia, Oklahoma, and Florida combined have executed more than 300 prisoners during that time period. The death penalty saw major national changes in the 1970s. In 72, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down capital punishment and kicked off a pause on executions across the country. But the court reaffirmed the legality of the punishment in 1976, and many states resumed the practice.
1: Since the Supreme Court moratorium was lifted, Nevada has carried out 12 executions, more than 30 other states. But the road from conviction to execution is often long and winding. Of those 12 executions, 11 of the condemned were volunteers who gave up their rights to fight their punishment. For prisoners who do not want to die, the appeals process can greatly delay an execution. The average death row inmate in Nevada has been imprisoned under a death sentence for nearly 22 years. Nevada's use of the death penalty has also dropped sharply in recent decades. The state last carried out an execution in 2006, when convicted murderer Daryl Mack was put to death at the Nevada State Prison in Carson City. Though Nevada law states that executions must take place at the state prison— The facility closed in 2012, and the state opened a new execution chamber at Ely State Prison in 2016. Years after the last execution, efforts to take the death penalty off the books in Nevada have made little progress. During the 2021 legislative session, a bill to repeal capital punishment passed out of the Assembly for the first time ever. But it failed when it couldn't get support from Democratic leaders in the Senate or Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak. Though the death penalty remains an option in Nevada, in practice, the state is unable to carry out an execution because it lacks lethal injection drugs. In recent years, drug manufacturers have increasingly pushed back on the use of their products in executions, making it difficult for states to source the materials needed for lethal injection. Many companies work in overseas markets where the death penalty is seen as inhumane and backwards. As more than 60 convicted criminals continue to sit on Nevada's death row, The list grows larger as more are sentenced to death. But the latest developments in the case of Zane Floyd, who was next in line for execution over four murders in a Las Vegas grocery store in 1999, may signal the beginning of the end for capital punishment in Nevada.
0: Zane Floyd was a Las Vegas resident who, in 1999, shot and killed four people in an Albertsons and severely wounded another. Thomas Darnell, who was 40, Carlos or Chuck Leos, who was 41, Dennis Sargent, 31, and Lucille Tarantino, who was 60, were all killed. Zacharia Menager, who was 21, was wounded. Floyd was arrested by police following his rampage and was sentenced to death in 2000. He has been in prison awaiting his execution, but in that time has filed appeals and sought clemency. Reporter Sean Galonka has been covering this story for months now, as the most recent execution date for Floyd came and went. Sean and I sat down to go over the case and more. All right, Sean, well, thanks for for joining me and and talking with me about this uh, very complicated and long, long story here.
2: Yeah, Joey, I've spent a lot of time researching this, spent a lot of time going through transcripts from the original court case in 2000. There's a lot of information here, a lot of details to get
0: into, and it's, it's been a long journey to where we are now. So to start off, can you just explain to me who Zane Floyd is a little bit? He doesn't want to talk to the media, and so you haven't had the opportunity to talk to him personally, but you've read a lot on this guy and a lot about this case.
2: Well, Zane Floyd was, was born in Estes Park, Colorado, back in 1975, prior to the crimes and, and everything that, that we know Zane Floyd for. His family and his, his friends, they described him as a pretty easygoing and friendly kid, a funny kid. But throughout his childhood, he, he did suffer from behavioral issues and he would, he would get in fights with other kids. He had problems in school. He had ADHD, and, and a lot of that had stemmed from fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, which went undiagnosed for, for a large portion of his life. His mother, she drank a lot during her pregnancy with Floyd. As she, she used drugs, including marijuana and possibly cocaine, and she smoked cigarettes. And so the effects of that alcohol and drug use were evident on Zane Floyd's brain throughout his adolescence. And he also grew up in, in an abusive home. His stepfather, Michael Floyd, who his mother married when Zane was only three, he was in the military and the family moved around a lot before eventually settling in Las Vegas in 1987 when Zane was just 12 years old. But Michael Floyd, Zane Floyd's stepfather, at times abused Valerie Floyd, Zane Floyd's mother, and Zane Floyd himself. Beyond that abuse, he, he dealt with problems in school and his best friend from pretty early age introduced him to drugs. So alcohol was readily available in his home. His parents were heavy drinkers, um, and he also used drugs a lot as a teenager. By age 16, he was pretty regularly using methamphetamines, which wasn't uncommon in Las Vegas at the time. In the 90s, Las Vegas was kind of a hotbed of meth houses and drug use, and it was really rampant. Those problems, they did affect him in school. He didn't finish high school. He ended up finishing getting his diploma basically through adult education courses after falling out of the public school system and transferring back in and eventually dropping out again. But all that did lead him to eventually enlist in the Marines. He looked up to his father and his grandfather, who were, who were both in the, the military. And so he, he did find some structure in the Marines, and he found some success. He has medals and accommodations from his time in the Marines. He spent a year in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and eventually a, a couple years at Camp Pendleton before his, his drinking problems really continued, and he, and he left the Marines after he was arrested on a, a DUI. And this led him to, to returning to Las Vegas in 1998, For a while, he was living at home. He worked a couple of low wage jobs, one at Costco, another as a security guard. Leading up to these weeks where he committed these crimes, he was on a downward spiral. He lost his job. He was kicked out of his apartment. He had to move back home. Later by his own admission to police, he said he was feeling like a loser because of, of this sort of collection of things that happened. And that's kind of, kind of where we were leading up to the night of June 2nd and eventually
0: the early morning of, of June 3rd when, when he committed these crimes. You know, leading up to these crimes, like you said, he was on a downward spiral. When when he committed the crime, walk us through that night when it happened and, and explain, you know, where it was and what the charges were too.
2: So basically this this last night, June 2nd, He goes out drinking with his girlfriend. They go to a strip club. They go to the Rio. He's drinking a lot. Apparently, he had eight double shots of Jack Daniels whiskey that night. At a certain point, he gambled away the money from his final paycheck, and he got into a fight with his girlfriend before she abandoned him at the casino. He got home really late at night, I guess early in the morning on on June 3rd with basically no money, and he calls a outcall dance agency which basically is a service that, that sends escorts to people's homes. And so a, a woman arrives that, that he had called for. He had ordered a woman that is basically an escort. And the moment she arrives, Zane Floyd kidnaps this woman, Tracy Carter, takes her into this, this guest house on his parents' property and he points a shotgun at her face. And so this set off the chain of, of violent crimes that were perpetuated by Floyd through this whole time. He was, he was wielding a shotgun and while, while, Tracy Carter was in Floyd's custody. He raped her. Eventually, she was allowed to escape Floyd around 5 a.m., left from his home to a nearby Albertsons. This was about a 10, 15-minute walk. Early morning in the Las Vegas Valley, the sun's not up yet. He said he was going to Albertsons because he had 19 bullets and he wanted to kill the first 19 people he saw. And so he goes to the Albertsons. And basically, immediately uh, as he arrives at the Albertsons is when he he begins killing the employees of the store. He kills pretty much every person that he sees. One man who was shot by Floyd did manage to survive that day after being dead on the floor. Eventually, he exits and basically finds himself surrounded by police. And as he's surrounded by police, there were some negotiations between a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police officer and zane floyd and eventually they get him to to kick away his gun and they they place him under arrest and immediately afterwards they take a recorded statement from zane floyd and and floyd was pretty distraught he was in disbelief at what he had done but he was repeating that he he had basically just gone to the store to shoot people
0: here he was obviously arrested and there was a very long trial period and now he's been on death row for over 20 years at the time in 1999 what do we know about how the crime was perceived then
2: this came roughly six weeks after the columbine shooting in colorado which is a very well-known mass shooting and and following that there were some national conversations about gun safety about public safety so that's where the national discourse was at and even in Las Vegas, this is a city that hadn't seen many shootings to this degree. So even from the very early stages of the criminal case, prosecutors in Clark County, including then Clark County District Attorney Stuart Bell, Bell at one point in the trial said that Floyd committed the worst massacre in the, in the history of the city of Las Vegas. You know, it was really something where Floyd was recognized as, as causing a great terror to the city of Las Vegas because there wasn't a clear motive for these killings. It was done at random, and, and that's something that prosecutors argue is, is a lot more terrifying than killing where we do know the motive. And is it common
0: to seek the death penalty for a crime such as this?
2: Yeah, it it is common. Really, the death penalty is most often sought with situations where more than one person is murdered. And even in the state of Nevada, to, to sentence somebody to death, you have to prove at least one aggravating circumstance The the legislature has enumerated a list of aggravating circumstances. One of which, in the in the case of Floyd, was being convicted of multiple counts of murder.
0: So Floyd's out in prison, out in Ely. He's been there for a really long time. Does he want to go forward with the death penalty? You know, a lot of times people on death row want to you know move forward or or stop fighting to not get killed.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are some of those people that waive their appeals, but communicating through his lawyers, Zane Floyd has been very clear. He does not want to die. He's gone through great lengths to to not be killed through an execution. He's filed many different appeals and petitions in both state court, the Nevada Supreme Court and and federal courts here basically to do everything possible to, to not be executed.
0: So it's been 20 years. Why has he been on death row for 20 years? What's taken so long? Is it because he's been appealing it or or are there other reasons as well?
2: There's really a combination of, of factors. Part of it is those appeals. Shortly after his original trial in 2000, he appealed on the grounds of prosecutorial misconduct. He alleged that he had ineffective assistance from his defense counsel in that case to even in in more recent years, we've seen him file petitions saying that Nevada can't move forward with an execution at Ely State Prison because Nevada statutes say that an execution must take place at Nevada State Prison, which closed down in 2012 and is located in Carson City. So really, there's been an exhaustive appeal process. Beyond that, just the courts move slowly. Sometimes petitions are filed and it's, it's years later before there's hearings and there's testimony heard about those appeals. So really it's just a, a slow process and it's ensuring that it's done right to, to make sure that somebody is not wrongly put to death. There are times where somebody is sentenced to death and, and later they're exonerated. There's a, a rigorous process in place to make sure that this is happening justly.
0: Yeah. And that's not the case in this situation. I mean even even Floyd's lawyer was saying like that he did this crime, right? There was no yeah, it's, there was it's no C.C.
2: undoubtable that that Zane Floyd was the one who per- perpetuated these crimes.
0: Recently in 2021 he sought clemency to move from the death penalty from the death row to just life in prison. What was that attempt like and was it successful anywhere?
2: This was kind of echoing arguments even from his original trial where his lawyers argued that he should spend his life in prison without the possibility of parole and so in 2021 his his current lawyers filed a clemency petition arguing for the same thing and so his petition has not been taken up by the state's board of pardons which is composed of the governor the attorney general and the justices of our supreme court there is a, a clear path for these types of petitions being taken up last year in Oklahoma Julius Jones he was convicted of a murder in 1999 the Oklahoma governor last year granted him clemency only hours before his execution. And that was following a pretty widespread national push for him to receive clemency. So we do see that with some of these death row cases and these executions that there's a lot of attention on on the clemency petitions. That has been the case to some degree with
0: Zane Floyd's petition. How are people that arguing for his clemency? How did they frame the crime and how did they frame him? And what were their arguments?
2: With the clemency petition, it talks about the abuse of childhood that Zane Floyd had. But in particular, it really focuses on his fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. And even with the help of some medical experts, some psychologists, the, the petition basically lays out that with this fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, Zane Floyd has neurological deficits that are really almost equal to an intellectual disability. And that these neurological deficits from his fetal alcohol syndrome disorder just impaired his his judgment, his his neurological capabilities to a degree that he should have his sentences commuted beyond that. The, his petition points to the PTSD that he suffered through his abusive childhood, through his time in the military. It's pretty rigorous at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, where he served, even even his own drug use. He was a heavy alcohol drinker and drug user. Although there were no drugs found in a system uh, a couple hours after he committed the crimes, he did say that he took meth before leaving his house for the Albertsons. There are really a number of different things that his lawyers argue reduce his moral culpability for the crimes. Even going to as far as, as his youth, he was only 23 years old when he committed the crimes. And so what are some of the arguments for the death penalty for Floyd? It it comes down to, to the main arguments in favor of capital punishment, which are really twofold. One, that it capital punishment is is a just punishment for some people our governor has has not s- said that he he would completely abolish capital punishment because he believes it is just in some circumstances extreme circumstances indeed but you know there are people who paint zane floyd as as one of those rare criminals who has done something so awful as to warrant a punishment as the death penalty and the other aspect of that is that it's a deterrent there are a lot of people who argue that the, the mere existence of the death penalty and the fact that somebody could be executed for committing such awful crimes is enough to deter those types of crimes because people don't want to die.
0: So what would the the method of, of his execution be if the death penalty was to move forward at this point?
2: So the only uh, method allowed under Nevada's laws is the, the lethal injection. And that's what his lawyers have been litigating over the past year. And it's something that we even saw litigation against in the Scott Dozier case because... With the lethal injection, there's really a limited supply and a limited way for states to access drugs to to move forward with executions. And so in in the case of Zane Floyd, the state has proposed basically these these never-before-tried drug combination to use as a lethal injection to execute Zane Floyd. And his lawyers have been litigating that, that method in federal court. But recently, there's been a bit of an impasse because one of the key drugs in that lethal injection protocol, the state's supply of that expired and they don't really have any way of of sourcing more of
0: that drug. What has Floyd said about, has he said anything about where he's at right now?
2: We really haven't heard much. He's been resigned to to living his life quietly in prison, but death row inmates, they're not allowed to work. So they, they really are left with very little to do in prison. They get to exercise, to eat, they get to draw maybe and read. But beyond that, there's really little to do
0: other than than sit with their thoughts. Could this case be the case that spurs the end of the death penalty in Nevada? We saw it at the last legislative session, right? That was uh, something that people were trying to get past to end the death penalty. The governor vetoed it or he said he wasn't going to sign it. But could this prolonged saga point towards the end of the death penalty potentially in the state? it
2: very well could. I'm not sure that this has any definite implications from a policy perspective, but functionally, the death penalty in Nevada is dead right now. The state doesn't have the drugs, they don't have a plan to execute somebody with their current supply of drugs, and they don't have any way of sourcing more drugs that they could use for an execution. So functionally, there's no way for the state of Nevada to carry out an execution. And for the foreseeable future, there won't be. But really, if things are going to change from a policy perspective and, and we see the, the death penalty abolished, that's probably going to come down to lawmakers in the state Senate and the governor.
0: And I guess just to wrap up, what's next in this saga if they can't move forward? Or is it just that he's going to be on death row indefinitely or are they going to start considering the clemency or is it a well, wait and see?
2: I think at this point it's a wait and see. He still has several... Outstanding petitions pending before the Nevada Supreme Court. From there, there's still a case pending before the federal court where decisions need to be made. Maybe the state comes out and says, "Hey, we found a way to get more ketamine," or "Hey, we're going to draft a new lethal injection protocol with whatever supply of drugs we have now." But but really, it, it is a wait and see. And and just for now, we're at a point where. Zane Floyd is going to continue to sit on death row with no execution in sight until something changes.
0: Now here's reporter and co-host Jacob Solis on what's next for the death penalty in
3: Nevada. Executions are now functionally impossible to carry out in Nevada. Though the death penalty remains on the books and is still a sentencing option in the state's criminal courts, Nevada has not executed anyone in nearly 16 years. Last month, the state saw its latest chance to carry out an execution come and go. At the end of February, the state's supply of a key lethal injection drug, ketamine, expired. So Nevada is unable to execute someone under existing protocols. That change has left Zane Floyd and more than 60 other death row inmates in limbo as they await executions that may never proceed. But the latest developments have done little to change the situation, according to advocates who want to end capital punishment. Here's Mark Betancourt, who serves as project director of the Nevada Coalition Against the Death Penalty.
4: Really nothing has has significantly changed and the state of the death penalty in Nevada is is in many ways in the same place it has been for over a decade.
3: Since the last Nevada execution in 2006, The state has sought to put several high-profile killers to death, including Scott Dozier and Zane Floyd. But appeals and challenges from drug manufacturers have prevented the state from administering a lethal injection, which is Nevada's only legal option for execution. Officials with the Department of Corrections have no way of sourcing more ketamine or drugs commonly used in executions because of pushback from pharmaceutical companies.
4: Many of the logistical and legal roadblocks that have been in place for many years are still in place now. There is really no reason for us to be moving forward with an execution.
3: Aside from the challenges involving lethal drugs, Betancourt pointed to the high costs of the death penalty. A 2014 financial audit of the death penalty commissioned by the legislature found that death penalty cases on average cost about half a million dollars more than murder cases in which prosecutors don't seek capital punishment. The path from conviction to execution is also slow and lengthy. The average death row inmate in Nevada has been imprisoned under a death sentence for more than two decades.
4: There's a, a hold on, on closure and finality when folks are waiting for this execution that has been promised. And when in reality, we know they don't move forward as quickly as many people think that they do.
3: Betancourt's arguments against capital punishment were echoed throughout the 2021 legislative session by opponents of the death penalty. The session even saw an abolition bill pass along party lines in the Assembly for the first time ever, with 26 Democratic lawmakers voting in favor of the measure. But the bill was spiked at the hands of Democratic leaders, including Governor Steve Sisolak and a pair of senators who work in the Clark County District Attorney's Office.
4: Uh, A lot of folks in the legislature were incredibly disappointed that the bill didn't have a hearing at the very least in the Senate and we're certainly not enthused about the way in which the bill was was killed to put it lightly
3: even as executions in Nevada have become practically impossible to carry out the obstacles from the 2021 session are still in play Sisalac has expressed support for capital punishment in severe situations and Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson a Democrat has been a vocal proponent of keeping the death penalty and Republicans are generally supportive of the practice But polling in recent years shows that Nevada's attitudes on the punishment are shifting. A 2017 poll found that a large majority of the state's voters supported the death penalty. But in 2021, a poll that phrased that question a little differently found them evenly divided between support and opposition
4: not only in Nevada, but across the country, perceptions are changing, and the death penalty is not only becoming more publicly opposed, but we're also seeing a more diverse array of folks supporting abolition at state houses across the country.
3: Last year, Virginia became the first southern state to abolish the death penalty, and earlier this year, Utah lawmakers debated a Republican-backed abolition measure. Last year, Wolfson, the Clark County District Attorney, suggested that Nevadans could voice their opinions on capital punishment through a referendum on the ballot. But Betancourt argues that a referendum is not a viable route to abolition.
4: From our perspective, this is something that the the legislature needs to address. They're elected to represent the will of the people. And it's certainly not something that we see put on the ballot frequently.
3: Though the state has no means to carry out an execution now, capital punishment remains possible in Nevada as long as it is allowed by law. State officials could find a way to get more ketamine or craft a new execution protocol. Some states have even brought back other methods of execution, such as lethal gas, because they've struggled to buy drugs.
4: I severely... Doubt that this will be the last attempt to, to move forward with the execution of Zane Floyd. That's why we are pushing so much for his clemency because, until you know, as long as he has a death sentence, there's always a possibility that an execution could move forward somehow, some way.
3: As opponents and supporters of the death penalty continue to debate its use in Nevada, the future of the punishment remains murky. Assembly Democrats have proven their desire to repeal capital punishment, leaving the fate of abolition in the hands of the state Senate and the governor. But if Republicans gain more power in state government in the 2022 elections, efforts to abolish the death penalty could be delayed for years. For now, the death penalty lives on.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters, which featured me, Joey Lovato, as well as Michelle Rendell's, Sean Galanga, Jacob Solis, and Mark Bettencourt. This show was produced and edited by me and Sean Galanga, with additional editing help from Michelle Rendell's, Riley Snyder, and Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, and email us with questions, comments, or concerns at joey at theenvyindie.com or jacob at theenvyindie.com. Our music this week came from Storyblocks and original music from myself. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and we'll talk to you next week.